We are the Marcelin Brothers, and this is the Marcelin Brothers Podcast, MBP for short. We are here to share our story and to contribute our thoughts about everyday topics in life. Time to sit back, relax, and get ready for the MVP attack. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Today is November 7th, 2019. And if you're listening or watching, you are listening or watching to the Marshall Brothers podcast. What is going on, my MVP crew? I wanted to make sure I had an opportunity to greet you on this fine Thursday evening. Again, November 7th. And I wanted to take some time just to talk to my MVP team just to see how everybody's doing. I wanted to see how your week is going. Today's Thursday, which means tomorrow's Friday when you're listening to this, which means it's the beginning of the weekend. It's not just Friday. It is Friday. So let me be the first individual to help bring you upon this weekend. So today we're going to have another current events conversation. We're going to give you guys an opportunity to see what's going on with me and i'm hoping that we have another fun awesome episode so first off what is going on with me so today's been a another long week again i'm kind of pulling double duty right now going to two different sites but you know again we've made it to friday so i'm very excited about that i'm looking forward to having a wonderful beautiful time with the family Ophelia is going to have a great time because the plan for us is to do our normal daddy-daughter day on Saturday. And then after that, I got a little Mr. Hot Model, Mr. GNS party that I'll be DJing for a surprise birthday. So I'll be pulling the DJ skills. And then on Sunday, looks like we're going to be going to SeaWorld. Ophelia has been asking about SeaWorld for the last month. She also was asking about the beach, but we had a chance to check off the beach off of that list a couple of weekends ago, and I'm looking forward to being a part of the coolest parents with my wife and I as we take our daughter over to SeaWorld. So I'm hoping that that ends up being a wonderful weekend. So I definitely have some stuff to look forward to. Marvin and Christopher, unfortunately, they're not going to be able to join us today. Again, they are doing big things. They are making sure that they're taking care of their patients, but they will be talking to us very, very soon. So I'm here to represent. It'll be M to the first power today. But again, we've got an awesome podcast and I am looking forward to you listening. And again, I'm looking forward to seeing what we can do with this. So I got a couple of stories that I want to make sure that we're able to talk about. First story is going to be about something that we just experienced. And this is Daylight Savings. So, pulled up an article. Daylight Savings Time Debate. Why do we have it? Do we need it? So, the reason why I brought up this topic was because my father-in-law actually mentioned that there are some countries that don't even have daylight savings anymore. So, I figured, you know what, let's do some more research. Let's see what we can do. Let's see if we can start this conversation. So I'm going to be reading a couple of articles about that. So stay tuned. So like I said before, this was a story that was written in Spotlight. The name of that title, I'm sorry, the name of the story is Daylight Savings Time Debate. Do we 
Why do we have it? Do we need it? The latest. For decades, most of the United States has observed daylight savings time. It dutifully changed the clocks twice a year. But recently, many have begun to question the semi-annual switch. This was reported by NBC News. Another news article was, instead of opting out of daylight savings time, some states and advocates favor staying on daylight savings time all year round. And this was something that was in the USA Today. And last, most countries outside of the North America and Europe don't bother changing their clocks, and neither do parts of Arizona and Hawaii. This is mentioned by the Reader's Digest. So I'm going to read a couple of articles pertaining to this, and let's see what we think. So this first one is going to be from Reader's Digest, and the name of this is going to be, This is Why We Have Daylight Savings in the First Place. All right. As the days get shorter in the fall, we set our clocks an hour back to take advantage of the extra morning sunlight. Daylight savings time lasts until spring when the clocks go forward again. At this point, the custom doesn't seem to mean much besides an extra hour of sleep or an hour less in the spring. But it all started as this money-saving scheme. You might have heard that Benjamin Franklin invented daylight savings time, but that's not the case. In 1784, he wrote a tongue-in-cheek letter to the Journal of Paris sharing a story of being woken by the sun at 6 a.m. when he didn't expect it before noon. I considered that if I had not been awakened so early in the morning, I should have slept six hours longer by the light of the sun, and in exchange have lived six hours the following night by candlelight, he wrote. Candles cost money, but sunlight is free, so he laid out a plan to have the Parisians get up the sun in the spring and summer. Maybe Franklin was half serious, but the main point of the letter was to tease the French for being lazy and sleeping in. The letter didn't spark any time changes in France or the United States, but it did get the core of the daylight savings time, saving energy by shifting the clocks to get more daylight. It wasn't until the early 1900s that other advocates came up with their own time-changing plans. In Great Britain, advocates lobbied for a form of daylight savings time, but the government rejected it. Looking for ways to save money during World War I, Germany latched on to the idea and launched their own daylight savings. It didn't take long for other European countries in the United States to follow their lead. These days, daylight savings time is becoming a bit of a controversy, thanks to newer studies showing that it doesn't actually save money. Most countries outside of the North America and Europe don't bother changing their clocks, and neither do parts of Arizona and Hawaii. Now the European Union is dropping the requirement, even more countries might keep their clocks the same year round. So that was one of the articles that was brought up in this daylight savings debate. I'm going to pull up another one that discusses how it affects your health. So the second article is entitled, Science Says How Daylight Savings Time Affects Health. This was written by Lindsay Tanner from the AP Medical Writer. Office workers bemoan driving home in the dark. Night owls relish the chance to sleep in. As clocks tick towards the end of daylight savings time, many sleep scientists and circadian biologists are pushing for a permanent ban because of potential ill effects on human health. Losing an hour of in the afternoon daylight sounds like a gloomy preview for the dark winter months, and at least one study found an increase in people seeking for depression 
after turning the clocks back to standard time in November in Scandinavia. Research shows the springtime start of daylight savings time may be more harmful, linking it with more car accidents, heart attacks, and vulnerable people and other health problems that may persist throughout the time change. Here's what science has to say about the twice yearly ritual affecting nearly 2 billion people worldwide. Sleep effects. Time changes mess with sleep schedules, a potential problem when so many people are already sleep deprived, says Dr. Phil Z, a sleep researcher at Northwestern Medicine in Chicago. About one in three U.S. adults sleep less than the recommended seven plus hours nightly, and more than half of teens don't get the recommended eight plus hours on weeknights. One U.S. study found that in a week following the spring switch to daylight savings time, teens slept about two and a half hours less than the previous week. Many people never catch up during the subsequent six months. Research suggests that chronic sleep deprivation can cause increased levels of stress hormones that boost heart rate and blood pressure and of chemicals that trigger inflammation. Heart problems. It has also been shown that blood tends to clot more quickly in the morning. These changes underlies evidence that heart attacks are more common in general in the morning. It may explain studies showing that rates increase slightly on Mondays after clocks are moved forward in the spring, when people typically rise an hour earlier than normal. That increased risk associates with time changes, mainly in people already vulnerable because of existing heart disease, says Barry Franklin, the Director of Preventative Cardiology and Cardiac Rehabilitation at Beaumont Health Hospital in Royal Oak, Michigan. Studies suggest that these people return to their baseline risk after the autumn time change. Car crashes. Numerous studies have linked the start of daylight savings time in the spring with a brief spike in car accidents and with poor performance on tests of alertness, both likely due to sleep loss. The research includes that a German study published this year found that an increase in traffic fatalities in the week after the start of daylight savings time, but no such increase in the fall. Other studies of how returning to standard time in the fall might impact car crashes and have conflicting results. Our internal clocks. Circadian biologists believe ill effects from daylight savings time result from a mismatch among the sun clock, our social clock, work and school schedules, and the body's internal 24-hour body clock. Taken away at the molecular level, the biological clock is then trained or set by exposure to sunlight and darkness. It regulates bodily functions such as metabolism, blood pressure, and hormones that promote sleep and alertness. Disruptions to the body clock have been linked with obesity, depression, diabetes, heart problems, and other conditions. Circadian biologists say that these disruptions include tinkering with standard time by moving the clock ahead one hour in the sleep spring. A mismatch of one hour daily is enough for ill effects, especially if it lasts for several months, according to Till. Ronenberg, a circadian rhythm specialist at Ludwig Maximilian University in Munich, Germany. In the U.S., daylight savings time runs from the second Sunday in March to the first Sunday in November. It was established 100 years ago to save energy. Modern-day research has found little or no such cost savings. Federal law allows states to remain on standard time year-round, but only Hawaii and most of Arizona have chosen to. Proposed legislation in several states would have them join suit or switch to year-round daylight savings time, which would require congressional approval. Ronenberg and Northwestern Z are the co-authors of a recent position statement advocating the return to standard time for good written for the Society of Research on Biological Rhythms. If we want to improve human health, we should not fight against our body clock, and therefore we should abandon daylight savings time, the statement says. So, what do you guys think about this whole daylight savings time phenomenon? 
I think for me, if you, I hope maybe I represent most of Americans saying this, but I like fall because, of course, fall back and with fall back, you means you get to set the clocks back one hour, which means you get an extra hour of sleep. So for me, I think this is beautiful, especially having a two-year-old, especially not sleeping in on any days of the week, any days of the month, and any days of the year, really. So that extra hour is nice to be able to sleep in and feel like you haven't been able to lose anything. But like most Americans, I'm sure that most people do not enjoy the spring forward. Spring forward, you move your clocks forward an hour, you end up losing an hour of sleep. So now you're already tired after hanging out on a Saturday night or maybe staying out late or maybe just watching TV because it's the end of your weekend and all of a sudden you lose an extra hour. So I think that half of the year is good, half the year is bad. But what are my initial thoughts on whether or not we should do away with daylight savings, period? You know, I would probably agree with the article. I don't know if the studies, again, I'm not a scientist, but initially, you know, if the whole purpose of daylight savings was to try to save energy, was to try to get more sunlight, I don't know if in the 21st century those things are as important because... One, from an energy perspective, you know, there isn't going to be any decrease in the amount of electricity that you're going to be using, whether it's an hour earlier or one hour later, because the way that we all function, we're on our phones, we are on the internet, we're watching TV. So whether what outside looks like is not going to be changing what we end up doing inside. So from that perspective, I don't really see the point in going back and forth just getting people upset when we end up having to go spring forward and have to turn the clocks over one hour. Perhaps back in the day when, you know, there wasn't technology and farming was one of the major ways of being able to make a living, that extra hour of sunlight, maybe that extra hour of work, maybe that would do something. But the way that I look at it, if you're going to concentrate on just doing work based on daylight, should you really look at a clock to determine when you get up and when you leave, or would you determine that based off of how everything looks outside? Now, again, we know that during the winter seasons, you have less daylight, and we know that during the spring and summer, you have more daylight. So is that one extra hour really going to do anything at the end of the day? So, you know, I maybe don't notice it as much either when it comes to preparing, especially with the phones being automatically changed back and forth. I think I just get up when I need to get up. I go to sleep when I need to go to sleep. But overall, I don't think it's a bad idea just to do away with it because I don't know if the benefits are really out there like they used to be before. We read two articles and we also read some takes on things. And for me, at this point, especially if most of the world is doing away with daylight savings, then I don't think it's a bad idea for us to follow suit as well, just so that we make it a little easier on ourselves. Especially with kids, you know, I think with this time of the year, I think it's easier for Ophelia because she, when she's waking up in the morning, it's, you know, she's able to get up and she's fine because her body is still trying to catch up to that change in time. So at least for this last week, she probably felt like she was sleeping in an extra hour, which is not a bad thing at all. But I don't know how that's going to be when we end up having to move the clocks an hour forward. So for me, from my perspective, I say 
just keep it consistent. I didn't realize how big of a deal and how much work has to be done behind the scenes when it comes to changing this rule, but I guess it makes sense because this can affect when people go to work, this is going to affect when what hours this is going to affect when people are going to be on the road and off the road, but I think that it's not such a bad idea for us to do it. And if people really feel that passionate strongly about it, you know, I'll be down for it. For me, I can go either way. Am I going to wake up the next day and say, oh my goodness, I can't believe that when we tried to pass this law, failed? Am I going to be up at my end's wits because it didn't pass or it didn't fail? No. Something to talk about, but is it going to really change my everyday work? Probably not. So that is story number one or article number one. Article number two, I'm feeling like we need to talk about a little bit of money. So this is also another article that I feel touches straight towards home for a lot of us. And this is going to be dealing with student loans. So this article is a USA Today article. And this article is written by Aaron Lowry. And the name of the article is Time to Start Your Student Loan Plans. Here's what you need to know to avoid mistakes. If you're a recent graduate who received your diploma in May, you're in for a real treat. It's time to start making payments on the federal student loans. Instead of paying haphazardly, it's critical to come up with an attack plan in order to, max to minimize your time and maximize your dollars on this repayment journey. But you can't move forward with a plan until you understand all your options. And even if you're not so recent graduate who's been making payments on your student loans for years, it's still critical to reevaluate your repayment plan from time to time, especially considering that student loan debts can be sold from one lender to another. The repayment journey starts by facing the full scope of your debt. Tracking down your loans. The first thing you need to do is to evaluate your student loan situation. A good starting place is the National Student Loan Data System, which aggregates your federal student loans. Private loans won't be tracked here, but pulling a copy of your free credit reports can help you find them. You should also check in with your parents if they helped you with the paperwork. Also, if you have private student loans, you've probably already started the slot of debt repayment. Those lenders really offer the same six-month deferment as the federal government. Making a plan. Once you've tracked down your loans, it's time to create a plan. Whitney Hansen, the financial coach and host of the Money Nerds podcast, suggests that borrowers who want to pay aggressively off debts should focus on decreasing spending the time in the big three categories, housing, transportation, and food. Hansen, by the way, paid off 30000 of school loans in less than a year. But you don't have to go into hyper-aggressive mode to put a dent in your, in your dent. Paying just a little above the minimum due, then telling your lender where you want that money applied can help make a significant difference. David Carlson, the author of A Student Loan Solution, Five Steps to Take Control of Your Student Loans and Financial Life, acknowledges just how complicated student loans can be thanks to a couple of types of loans and lenders and various repayment types. While it's not fun, Carlson advises borrowers to set aside time to keeping educating themselves about the special loans as well as the available options for repayment from income-driven repayment loans to forgiveness programs to consolidation and refinancing. That education process is key because it can help you avoid costly mistakes in the future. Whether you graduated or are just a few years into your student loan repayment journey, there are lots of potential traps and tips that stand between you and efficiently receiving that $0 due balance. 
The most common mistake is failing to make any payments and ending up with your loans in default. Not only can this crush your credit history and score, there's a troubling fact of which many graduates are unaware. Student loans are incredibly difficult to discharge through bankruptcy, said Carlson. So not making payments and failing into default doesn't do you any favors. Another mistake is failing to put your loans on a plan that is tailored to your financial situation because most lenders aren't there to hold your hand or even enlighten you. Federal government offers four income-driven repayment plans to borrowers. These plans prorate your monthly payment relative to your income. Then after 20 or 25 years of payments, depending on the, your loans, the borrower is eligible to have the remaining debt forgiven. Public Service Loan Forgiveness, PSFL, discharges remaining qualifying debt after 10 years of qualifying payments and qualifying employment. But you would also need to know how to consolidate your loans and be on the income-driven repayment plan in order to be eligible for forgiveness. You need to evaluate your options and make a plan before you take either of those steps. Consolidation is something that can't be undone because once you create a consolidation loan, the loans you consolidate no longer exist, explains Carlson. That could be a huge problem, especially for people who have already began working on student loan forgiveness. Let's say someone had made three years of qualifying payments towards loan forgiveness on their existing loans. If they consolidate their loans, they are starting at square one for forgiveness because qualifying payments were made on previous loans, which no longer exist. Consolidation through can keep federal loans federal. Refinancing is an entirely different beast. Refinancing might sound like a strange concept, but you're taking out a new loan at a lower interest rate and using that new loan to pay off the existing loans. This will essentially bundle all the original loans into one simple loan with a lower interest rate, which can save you hundreds of thousands of dollars and even share years off of the retirement term. But there's a catch. Once you refinance federal student loans, you've turned them into a private loan. And similar to consolidating, you can't revert. This means giving up access to any perks of the federal student loans, like income-driven repayment or forgiveness or deferment, which helps during hardships and enables borrowers to pause payments. If you're paying off a private student loan, which often comes with a much higher interest rate compared to the federal counterparts, it doesn't offer the same perks. But with private loans, refinancing to a lower interest rate can be advantageous. The PSLF program has received a lot of negative attention for its notoriously high rejection rate. Many of these rejections were sent to candidates who spent 10 years making payments only to be told that they screwed up along the way and their debt wouldn't be forgiven. Carlson advises you don't let the media attention of high rejection rates deter you from seeking PSFL if you're eligible. He recommends you first understand all the requirements, including the qualifying employment and loans, and to make sure that you have those loans on a qualifying repayment plan. The next step is getting your payments officially tagged as qualified, says Carson. To do this, you have to submit the employer certification form. While it is not required to submit it regularly, I recommend borrowers submit every 6 to 12 months. It costs nothing to submit, and by submitting regular, you are getting your payments tagged as qualified. What if the next president cancels student loan debt? With multiple presidential hopefuls adding canceling student loan debt to their campaign promise, some of today's college graduates are basing their financial plans on a reality that may never come. I would caution against putting hope in big policy proposals because of how difficult it is to actually get them passed, says Carlson. Hansen agrees and suggests that you never relinquish agency over your financial life. 
Your financial life should never be put on hold while external factors that you have very little control over sort themselves out, she says. You'll never regret the freedom you'll feel from paying off your loans and putting control of your financial life in your own hands. So, student loans, again, depending on some of you out there to my MVP crews, I would assume that a majority of you guys do have some sort of student loans. I can give you my take. I can give you my experience off of what we did for my student loans. So for me, I ended up going through the process of getting all federal loans. So I was able to get these federal loans as I was going to school. I did my two years of pre-pharmacy, four years of pharmacy school. When I graduated from pharmacy school, I was one of those statistics that ended up having six-figure debt. What I ended up doing was I ended up going through the process since I had federal loans to consolidate. So instead of having all of these different loans being due at different times, I took all of my federal loans and I ended up consolidating them into one loan. Once I ended up doing that, then I ended up doing my repayment plan. For me, I don't remember. I, I think I ended up doing the income-based repayment, but I'm not 100% sure, actually. And the reason why is because I was fortunate enough to really knock out my loans, and I knocked those things out probably in about three years. For me, my situation was a little different at the time. I was a single-income, no-kids individual, so my biggest expense was living downtown in Orlando, I didn't have a new car. I had the same car that I always had. So for me, I was literally putting everything that I had in my paychecks and I was dedicating that to paying off the loans. So I was very fortunate to be able to knock off those loans and pay them off. So I did that in a few years and it's been a great feeling because not having a payment weighing me down is just a great liberating feeling. And I hope you individuals get an opportunity to do that. So that is something that I did. I figure let's just, let me just knock it out. And once I'm done, I'm done. Now, most of the people that I know who ended up going to pharmacy school, who are working for not-for-profit organizations are doing the public service loan forgiveness program. So again, when we discussed this during the article, the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program states that if you're able to work for a nonprofit organization for 10 years, the, the thought process is when you work for a not-for-profit organization, they may not, because they're not-for-profit, the wages, the salaries may not be as competitive as individuals who are working in the private sector. So the thought process is when you're working in these public service areas, you may not be getting paid as much, but it's the government's way of enticing you to work in these areas so that there isn't a shortage of workers in these areas and you're able to provide care for whatever population you'll be serving in whatever fashion you serve them in. And the trade-off, or not the trade-off, and the deal is that if you end up doing that, then the government will eventually take care of the rest of your loans. So the trick to this is you want to make sure that one, you consolidate. So you have just one, not refinance, but consolidate. 
So you want to make sure that you are able to get all of your loans. You work through the government agencies. It used to be direct loans, but you end up having that one loan. You pay off all the other ones from that one big loan. The interest rate ends up being averaged amongst the five or six different rates, depending on how many loans you have. You get that one interest rate, and from there, you just pay that one bill. Now, that's a good portion of it, but if you're still going to be putting the minimum payment, it's going to take a very, very long time. So what is the catch to this? Well, the catch, again, is what the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program is that after 10 years of payments, if we are making qualifying payments, then the rest of the loan is forgiven. Generally, if you're doing a normal loan repayment plan, it's generally 10 years and you just divide how much your loan is divided by 120, then you get your monthly payments that you have to pay throughout. But with the public service loan forgiveness, we are able to stretch that, I believe, to closer to 30 years, perhaps. Or, you know, you know what? Strike that. So with the public service loan forgiveness program, it's just after 10 years. So what the key is, is you try to get into a payment program that allows for you to pay based off of what your income is. So because of that, you're able to decrease the amount of loans that you have to pay off every year. And the thought process is, if you get to that 10-year mark, you're not going to be able to pay off the rest of your loans, but the government is going to forgive that again due to your service. So that is one of the keys that people try to do to be able to work with the government to be able to knock out their loans. So instead of having to pay the full amount, then they're going to be paying a partial, and then the other, and then the 10 years that you put into it is essentially the rest of the loans that's the deal that you're doing now if you don't go through the public service loan forgiveness program there still are some federal government plans that are income driven that allow for you to prorate your payment based off of your income and after 20 or 25 years you're able to have the rest of your debt forgiven as well so this is another option for individuals who are generally going to be, you know, maybe low income or individuals who, you know, don't have, you know, a lot of finances to be able to pay off their loans. Essentially, it's kind of like the whole paying off the minimum until you get to 20 or 25 years and then you get the loan forgiven. So this is regardless of whether or not you are working for the public service group, if you're working for a non-for-profit, this is any type of income-driven repayment plan automatically after either 20 or 25 years, depending on what type of plan you do choose, you'll have the rest of your loans forgiven. So this, again, is a nice way to be able to get a lot of your loan forgiven because, you know, the thought process from the government is after 20 or 25 years, you've done your time, you may not have reached paying off your full loans, but Again, after 20, 25 years, you know, the thought process is you may not be able to knock them out after that. So the three different ways to be able to knock out your student loans that we've talked about is one, just paying off everything that you have, you know, in 10 years or less by trying to maximize on eating up at that interest 
I'm sorry, eating up on the principal so that you're not having to pay as much in interest. Number two is the federal loan forgiveness, public service loan forgiveness program, where you consolidate. Once you consolidate your loans, then you end up being on an income driven repayment plan. And then after that, then you just pay off whatever is calculated based off of your adjusted gross income. And this is something that the Office of Student Aid will help determine what your plans are. After 10 years, everything else is forgiven. And then the last plan is going to be your general income driven repayment plan where your monthly payment again is prorated. You pay consecutive payments for your loans for 20 to 25 years. And then once you get to that point, then everything is forgiven. So I know loans are very scary. I know it's something that frightened us because when we're going to school, we're so excited that we get accepted and we may not financially understand exactly what we're doing when we're taking out these loans. And then all of a sudden when you're done, you may have like a 15 minute session with one of the financial aid counselors who tell you about this is now it's time for you to pay back your loans and you sign up for this and then you do it. And then you see that first paycheck, you're happy. And then after that, then you see that you've got to pay these bills. Other tips, most of the time for the first six months after you graduate, that is a grace period. If you do have a job already lined up, it may not be a bad idea to start putting those payments in within those six months, because generally, depending on what type of loan you have, you know, the, the interest is going to be able to pile up. But again, you're not on the clock for paying those loans until that six months. So during that grace period, you don't have to worry about paying the loans. And depending on what type of loans you have, they may be frozen until that six month one day mark. So that's something else you guys can take a look at. So just to recap, <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry, we didn't even cover the refinancing piece. So the refinancing piece that they talk about in this article, a lot of times people use this refinancing because if you are able to find a deal on a loan where you're able to get a lower interest rate, those lower interest rates will decrease the amount that you have to pay every month. And if you're going from something like 10% or 5%, you're going to be decreasing the amount of interest that you're having to pay. And more of that money goes towards principal if you're going to still keep that same dollar amount. And that over time can also help assist in how quickly you're able to repay your bills. It's almost the, you know, similar to the notion of paying 13 months of mortgages in 12 so that you get that extra one month and you do that over time, that cuts into the principal. So that's another thing that we can take a look at for refinancing. But you have to remember when you're refinancing, you're going from having a public federal government loan, which comes with perks and benefits to then having a private student loan. And when you have those private student loans, you may not have those nice perks. You may not be able to do some of the things that you would be able to do for a federal loan. But the, the pro in this is that some of these private student loan companies may offer much more competitive rates than the federal government. And then lastly, you know, again, I think the point for this article is just making sure that you have a plan to stick to it. I've always been one that I don't let what the government and I don't let rules and laws 
try to save me from certain things. I try to keep every scenario and situation into my own hands, and I try to come up with a plan so that if the government plans do work out, okay, that's great. But if they don't, it's not like I have all my eggs in one basket. And that's something that we have to take a look at now, especially with a lot of the individuals who are running for office. A lot of candidates are running on the platform that they'll be able to help forgive student loans. But again, you don't want to assume that that's going to happen. And instead of paying down your loans, use your money towards something else. So that is the second article for today. So I'm looking at the clock. We've been talking for about 35 minutes. So I just wanted to recap a couple of our articles before we close. So the first articles that we discussed were the topics that we discussed were one talking about daylight savings time. So initially the thought process for daylight savings was supposed to help save energy, but it's shown, you know, throughout modern history that the savings that people thought they were having, you're not going to have that many, that much savings, especially now with how technology has changed. And again, for me, I feel like whatever you end up doing, that's fine with me. You just let me know ahead of time. I see pros and cards to, to both arguments, but I think it'd just be much simpler just to do away with the hour forward, one part of the year, hour back, one part of the year. Keep the time the same. Body is the same. Certain days are going to be darker than others, but that's just how it is. And just eliminate that. That's probably what my take is. But again, I can go either way. And then number two, again, we discussed loans. We talked about how to repay the loans and how there's different strategies. We talked about paying them off straight. We talked about consolidation. We talked about refinancing. But at the end of the day, whatever we decide to do, we've got to make sure that we come up with a plan for that because, again, we've got to make sure that we are accountable for the loans that we essentially have to pay back. We made a contract, hey, we're going to take these out to be able to do school. And now when we do finish school, then it's time for us to make sure that we make due on that contract. Whether that's by having the government forgive your loans or you paying them off, I'm not here to say which way is better or worse, but at the end of the day, you just have to make sure that whatever loans you have, you come up with a plan so that you don't owe anymore. So with that being said, we are done with another great episode. Again, MBP crew, it's been a wonderful 37 minutes. I hope that you guys had an opportunity to learn lots today. I'm looking forward to our next podcast. And oh, some updates. So, you know, my brother-in-law, Rod, you know, him and I, we actually started a podcast together. The name of this podcast is Raymond and Sons. And without giving too much away, just search for that. So again, wherever you look for your podcast, wherever you go to subscribe for the Marston Brothers podcast, please make sure to check out the new podcast called Raymond and Sons. You know, the, the purpose of that podcast it's more towards the sports and technology realm there'll still be some current events but we focus a lot more on sports so if you're a sports fan if it's something that you know intrigues you if you are up to date with everything that goes on to espn this would be a great podcast for you to check out so again check out the new podcast raymond sons you can find that in your app you can find that in your itunes you can find that in your general podcast mediums and I think that'll be a great place for you to to get some fun because the style of that podcast is a lot different than here but again for my MVP crew thank you again for listening again please share this podcast with your friends if you have any questions or comments you can always reach out at myself or the rest of the Marston brothers by emailing 
marcelinbrothers at gmail.com. Please make sure you like this podcast. Please make sure you leave a comment so that we know what we need to do to make this podcast better. And again, I appreciate all the support that the Marcelin Brothers podcast team has been able to provide to us. So with that being said, I hope you guys have a wonderful end of your week. I hope that you have a wonderful weekend. And we will be coming out in a couple of weeks, if not sooner. Talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening to the Marston Brothers Podcast. And remember, do work and make a difference in somebody's life.